Welcome to the Healing Place podcast, a space filled with inspirational stories of hope, along with practical advice for your healing journey. Your host is Terry Welbrock, trauma warrior, writer, speaker, blogger, therapy dog handler, and founder of the Sammy's Bundles of Hope Project. As a survivor and a thriver, Terry's mission is to shine the light of hope into the world by interviewing insightful guests from across the globe. Please stay tuned at the end of today's interview as we honor our sponsors. The Healing Place podcast is a fiscally sponsored project of Fractured Atlas. Now, here's your host and trauma warrior, Terry Welbrock. Welcome, everybody, to the Healing Place podcast. I am your host, Terry Welbrock, and thrilled to have with me today Dr. Jody Skillicorn. And she is, and I have to read it off my paper because I do, holistic psychiatrist, author, and depression expert. So, welcome. Thank you. Yes. Glad to be here. Yeah, just chatting before I hit record. Um, So excited about the things we're going to dive into regarding depression, um, the impact of trauma and ACEs, which will certainly talk about what aces are a little bit and then i i told you and i'm going to hold it up right away (laughs) and the intro captured me from the get-go um so yes and we'll talk more about that and what captured me but yeah talk to us about this book and what it is you've been doing yeah so the book so the book has been a project and it really just came about because I keep hearing the same stories over and over and over and over from patients and they all have their own unique form of it but the base story is basically the same and that is um right so many people get either get started on meds or get prescribed a medication and decide not to start it for really very normal experiences, right? And we, and it's a normal human response to a loss, to a trauma, to um, a death, to a diagnosis of cancer or some other chronic disease. And so many people get started on a medication for these very normal human responses. Um, and right a biochemical solution is not the answer to to soul wounds and so many of these wounds go way back as you know to childhood and and um to much you know so it may not appear to have an immediate cause but when you start asking questions there's always a story there's yeah. always something that happened that makes it makes sense it's not didn't just pop up out of the blue it's not some mystery yeah. Although it may feel that way, for right. sure. I mean, what we're finding out about adverse childhood experiences or ACEs and the impact that it has on us as adults. Oh, it's huge. Incredible. Yeah. So just in, in terms of depression, what um, what they found is, so basically if someone doesn't have a history of an ACE, and I have yet to meet that person, actually, <laughs> right? I mean, we all have smaller traumas, and obviously some people have much, much more, um, but um, roughly 60 to 85% have at least one, and the latest CDC report showed that about 16% have four or more, um, and so in terms of depression, what that means is someone 
allegedly was zero, um, again, they just may not be the ones in the questions, has about a 12 to 15% chance of depression. Someone with one, it, that risk goes up to about 25%. And then once we're up to four or more ACEs, it goes up over 400%. And the risk of suicidality goes up 1200 percent um so it's huge and and these are the people that are least likely to respond to medications and yet 97 percent of people on four with a history of four or more of these traumas are on the medications and yet they're the least likely to respond to them because it's not the problem yeah right the problem is not a serotonin or a prozac deficiency right that's just not what's going on yeah, I, I score uh, a 10 out of 10. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so when I, I just remember after most people who have listened to the podcast know my, my first 22 years of life were horrific trauma. But after the second bank robbery where a coworker was murdered, I, oh they instantaneously threw me onto uh, anti-anxiety. I started to have severe panic attacks. And of course, yeah. Yeah, and so they, they threw me onto anti-anxiety meds and antidepressants. And yeah. I remember just having horrible side effects. I, I, I would have these splitting headaches, and so they kept changing me from this med to this med to this med. Yeah, yeah. Just nothing was grabbing a hold, and which made me then spiral down into more like, I'm so broken. I can't be fixed. <laughs> right. Exactly. The worst. Now, as of today, I take nothing. I don't even like to take Tylenol for a headache. I, yeah. It's, it's, I had to heal what you said. I love the wording you just used of a soul wound. I had to heal all of that trauma. Yeah. And that's um, the only way it's not easy. There's no yeah. quick fix for it. But it's yeah. otherwise, it's just, it's almost re-victimization, right? What happened to you, yeah. right? Just like diminishing and not acknowledging all that trauma as the root and instead just throwing you on a medicine and basically, um, you know, um, just trying to numb it. And then yes. you become the problem, right? So you're not, re- you're treatment resistant. You're the problem. You're the one that's broken. You're, right? It's not yes. my treatment protocol, which isn't helping you at all because it's not reaching the point or the roots. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Very cool. Well, at the beginning of the book, and I told you this before, the intro just captured me because you talk about, and one of the things that just really, the the imagery of it was when you were working in a hospital, I think a hospital setting in, Mm -hmm. in, uh, you were handed a patient who had been handed down to you from someone else, from someone else, from someone else. And the wording that you used was, um, if, if therapy and medication wor- work, why aren't they getting better? Yeah. Yeah. And that's really powerful. And that was pretty much every patient I was seeing. They were all handed down. I had very few new patients and they were all on meds and it was just kind of this game of, shifting the meds around and, and, and talking and talking is important, right? Not to get that wrong, right? Okay. Support, support is so important, but just talking, talking alone also doesn't, if you, especially if you've had deep traumas, right? It's, it's buried in your, in your body and in your nervous system and, and just talking through, it doesn't change that. That's right. where you need to get more into the, um, you know, working with the breath and working with mindfulness and working with yoga and getting, like we were just talking about before, getting outside in nature and getting contact with the ground, right? And doing these, um, not just spinning around in our heads and talking, talking, talking. 
Yes, very, very true. And yes, I mean, you, you mentioned EMDR, you mentioned tapping yeah. or EFT. Yeah. Um, mindfulness is very, I've, I've utilized all of those things. And, and yeah, it is critically important for healing. Yeah. I mean, EMDR, the, the, the data on it's phenomenal. Um, I read one study, it was comparing it to uh, both CBT, which is considered sort of the standard for therapy, kind of behavioral therapy, and then also to medications. And it, it blew them off the chart. It was almost twice as good as the CBT and way better than the medication, even better than the medications. And what was more astonishing is, well, those kind of petered out. They may have had an, for the first few weeks, they also had sort of an initial equal effect. Yeah. But over time, by the time you get into seven months, 10 months, um, that's where it just keeps, the, with the EFT and, and EMDR, it just keeps getting better. You start, you know, the symptoms just keep dropping off versus with the others. Um, it just kind of levels out. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally understand. And you know, I have to. I have to say, I started out when I when I went back at, in 2013 after 25 years of severe panic attacks and trying to figure out how to live wow. with it. I yeah. went back to talk therapy, and it helped me so much to just really kind of put things in perspective. Yes, and it's so good for that. Yeah. And this yeah. beautiful therapist said to me, which I adore her for, she said. Terry, have you ever considered EMDR therapy? Because she knew she, we had, we had kind of reached our max of, of sorting through everything. Mm-hmm. But it came in with this list of, you know, here's all that's going on. Yeah, yeah. Right? And then she redirected me, um, which was beautiful, and ended up in EMDR. And yeah, four years and 98 sessions. But uh, Wow, good for you. Awesome. Amazing. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Cool. And I think that is such a perfect example too, right? Of how initially I think you do have the talk therapy is important just to like have trust and, yeah. you know, a bond and then can kind of work into some of the scarier stuff with the EMDR and really kind of start to clear stuff out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah beautiful. All right. So do you mind, and, and we can certainly not talk about this, but um, maybe talking about with all that's going on in the world right now, um, some some of the things that maybe people can use and and like the prognosis on how this will affect people with depression because we talk you talk about the impact of trauma and ACEs. Well, this is certainly a traumatic event. It is. It is, and yet it is and it isn't right because so it's is it scary? Absolutely. Is it affecting all of our nervous systems? Absolutely. But I think part of it also is we're getting wrapped up in the story about it, right? Yeah. It's constant media attention every time I pick up my phone. And I get sucked into it too, right? It's hard not to. There's just so much. And, and in a way, it's right this fast. It's a drama too. And right, we just, we get sucked into that. It's, it's, um, but I think we also have to set it aside and yeah. recognize like right here in this moment, the two of us are just talking and that's no different than any other day of any other year. Right. And right here in our spaces, we're both safe, right? Yeah. We don't know what's going to happen next and uncertainty is scary, but to really ground ourselves in what's real. Right. And yes, there are people that are sick and their reality is different, but for most of us, um, right. We're, we're safe and, and we, and we're just, these changes are just to keep us safe and to keep 
the vulnerable, those who are even more vulnerable, safe. And so part of it is just to reframe right, our stories about it and even to see if we can find some, some hope in it, right? So when I think of it, I think it's really also a message about how we really need to change our own behaviors and our own thinking, but also globally, right? We need to, even though we're being forced to kind of isolate and, and to create distance, finding other ways to connect, you know, whether it's via social media, but real, right. We're actually talking and looking at each other. We're not just texting. Right. right? Or, um, or like, I love, right. It's so moving those scenes in Italy with the people outside their oh. windows and creating music and community, even though they're separated. Right. And to kind of see the ways we can change this into something positive too. I know even in my own family, right? This last weekend, so my kids got out of school Thursday. So we had this, we've had a four day weekend now and um, we didn't have anywhere to go. Like I didn't have to drive any kid to dance class or sports yeah. thing, or <laughs> I never know play dates or sleepovers. And it was just this quiet, peaceful weekend and even my daughter was like wow we kind of we haven't spent this much time together in a long time and so also a way to just kind of take advantage of this pause rather than see it as a threat to do what we can right so obviously keep our distance wash our hands avoid going out a lot do the things we can boost our immune system with healthy food getting outside if we're allowed to in nature, getting our feet in the ground, seeing, getting sun, being in the fresh air. So doing the things we can, but also reframing it from a threat to what's the opportunity here. And in every crisis, there always is an opportunity if we can shift how we look at it. And that is the biggest piece of depression. It's getting stuck in sort of these negative thought patterns that then cause our body to constrict and our breath to constrict and everything gets tighter and tighter and we just keep looping down. And one of the ways out is to start to reframe, you know, is there some way I can see this differently? Maybe this isn't, I'm not broken. Maybe this isn't pathology. Maybe um, this is just a message that I have to do things differently, a wake up call to do things differently, to live my life differently, to think differently. Right. And, that, you know, and then that, to find people to help us do that. Right. Yeah. And that instantly made me think of something again, we've ta- I've talked about here a lot, but never from a depression standpoint is brain plasticity, habitual oh. patterns and changing the habitual patterns, the way we react to things and, and just taking that pause or step back and saying, wait a minute and, and choosing to create a new habit. Yes. Because it really does change the brain. Absolutely. Every thought, every behavior, every bite of food we eat, we're constantly changing the brain. And we just have the story in psychiatry and in medicine that it's static and doesn't change. But that's because we keep giving it the same information over and over and over again. So it seems set and stable. But as soon as we change it, we start to change that rewiring. And it can, like you said, it can be the simplest things. It could be just starting to notice our breath once in a while, starting to pause once in a while, getting outside once in a while, you know, walking, um, you know, just down the block, right? It can be the smallest things, but just to shift it. And it really is incredible what we can change and what we have the power to change. And it's so sad that that's not the message we're given, that it's 
that it's just kind of fixed and static and broken. I, you know, in the, it was only what, 20 years ago where we used to say the same thing about stroke, right? Like the brain can't be changed. If you've had a stroke, you're kind of just out of luck. And guess what? Everyone was out of luck because that's what they believed. Yeah. No one was working to change the brain. So no one was getting better. So we were proving ourselves right over and over and over. And only right now we know that, you know, most strokes, right, even severe ones, you can certainly recover, maybe not fully, but you can recover right. for sure. Yeah. But it takes knowing that and it takes then taking action based on that yeah. to, to shift it. Um, but if we don't believe it, it's not possible. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. Well, I loved what you said just a few minutes ago about um, us just sitting here. I, I talk about mindfulness quite a bit with, with podcast guests. And, but this, like what you just said was a perfect example of mindfulness. If we are here in the now, in this moment, and we are safe. And yes, while all of the, what's happening on our phones, if we would pick it up and look, is chaotic and scary and overwhelming. But here in this moment, and that's what mindfulness is all about, is taking is being present in the now. And, and that's yes. all we have. That's all we have. This moment. Yeah. And realizing, oh, I'm okay. And yeah. it's calm. And we're having this beautiful conversation. And so, so it's finding that calm within the chaos. Yes, that center point. Yeah. yeah. And the beautiful thing is, is when we find that, then we project that out as a ripple effect, right, to others around us. And then really becomes part of the healing for all of us in the midst of this, right? The more of us that can stay calm and centered right. and step out of this chaos, right? And again, doing what we can and what we have control over, but sort of letting go of the rest, um, then that, that ripples out. There was an amazing study, the, frame, the Framingham, Framingham study, where they found that if you, um, you know, if your friend's mood improved and was happier, that your, you had like a 30% chance of your mood improving. And even if the friend lived a mile or two away, it was, you know, it, it still increased your odds of feeling better yourself. And even if your friend's friend was happier, it influences our mm -hmm. own happiness. And so we all have this potential to, to kind of radiate out. And, and so then it becomes almost an, an incentive and a responsibility to yeah. center ourselves and, and um, ground ourselves and shift how we're looking at things so that we can shift the whole story for all of yeah. us. We shift the world just, yeah, one smile at a time. Yeah, one smile at a time. Yeah, one reframe at a time. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. I've, I've personally seen that. My mom is 84 and um, she's, uh, I haven't said it lately on here, but she's just celebrating eight months sober, which is incredible and awesome. And I'm so proud of her. Mm -hmm. But she is just this little old lady who's five foot tall. She's a little tiny thing. But when she walks through the grocery store. She mm -hmm. makes eye contact with every person she, mm. she sees and smiles, this huge smile and says, hi, how are you today? <laughs> and these people, like I can see them going from their busy days or their grumpy days or whatever. And they just, it kind of catches them a lot of times like, oh, oh, hi. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 
That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah, and it's those small ways we can really change things. Right, right. And then to remember those when those are offered to us, right? So the other thing is gratitude, right? Yeah. That can be really helpful in healing, especially now too. I saw this great post going around on Facebook, like, you know, wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands. But this one was, well, you're washing your hands instead of, you know, singing the alphabet or counting to whatever or singing happy birthday to like think of what you know three things you're grateful for so to kind of take advantage again of of these moments um but right those are the things when i'm doing my own gratitude list it's always like that person at the grocery store who like actually smiled and made eye contact it is that simple sometimes but it just lifts you up right right very cool just taking a moment to thank a sponsor to the Healing Place podcast, fiscally sponsored project through Fractured Atlas. And for their generous donation this week at the Trauma Warrior level, the Phoenix Fund via Blue Mountain Community Foundation. Thank you. Now back to the show. So there are any myths or facts that you would like to clarify around? I know we've certainly touched on some, uh, but any specific things that you would like to touch upon? Yeah, well, I mean, kind of the whole field is based on myths, but um, the biggest one for really the whole field of psychiatry is the whole idea of the neurochemical imbalance. Um, There's, you know, there's been 50 years of research and there's no evidence for it. And there really never was. Like even the founders of it were like, well, this is preposterously simple, right? But this is kind of just an explanation to kind of get our heads around it, you know, but it's not to think that it's one cause, even they were like, that's kind of ludicrous and delusional. Um, But so what the research actually shows is that roughly about a quarter of people with a history of depression and without a history of depression have low serotonin and neurotransmitters. About a quarter have high and the rest are in the middle, which suggests there's absolutely no normal, right? If you can be happy or depressed and have low or high, uh, right? It, it's yeah. not It's not that. And so what the research is showing instead, although we haven't changed the way we practice or treat, is that it really is these, these stressors and chronic inflammation, um, just like every other chronic disease of the, right, that we treat, it's all the same. And, yeah. and that's really great because it means we have power. It means right. it's not, we're not victims of our biology. We're not victims of our genes. We're, we just have to change our lifestyle so we can start to decrease our stress, decrease inflammation through healthy food, all the basic stuff, right? Again, exercise, healthy food, getting outside, connecting with people, all of these gratitude, all of these decrease inflammation. And that's really the primary root And yes, it's not to say there can't be other things for sure. You know, if your hormones are out of balance, but even then, why are your hormones out of balance? Often it's, again, we're back to stress and inflammation. Um, Although you may temporarily add in a hormone to shift, you know, to speed things up, but ultimately we're still back to the same point. Um, So, yeah. 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 And I think epigenetics too is another big thing that's huge. Yeah. They're starting to understand. And for people who don't understand what that is, could you explain that a little bit? Yeah. So epi is just above. So it's, it's the idea that it's not our genes that have so much power. It's, it's how the environment shifts our genes. So it can turn on or turn off genes. So for example, you were talking about EFT. There was a study done that in one hour session of EFT, 
72 genes are changed so that you they're all genes that have to do with decreasing inflammation right so you're getting to the root and that's in one hour right we have the power to make such huge shifts um yeah um yeah it's really phenomenal actually how much power we have which is a yeah. totally different story than what, you know, here, take your med. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. you're broken. That really sucks for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's so true. I, I just remember, well, I'm writing this book that I've been writing forever <laughs> that someday I'll release, but yeah, yeah. you understand the process. I understand, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> and, but, but I remember saying to myself, Terry, you can't write this book because you're broken. Like, you, how can you write this? And then once I realized, well, one, I had, I, I was giving a presentation at a trauma uh, conference, and the, I, I gave the intro, and the keynote speaker said to me afterwards, she said, or actually during her, because she referred back to what I had said, and she said, you know, you're not broken. You're yeah. not broken. And, and then went on and gave a phenomenal, phenomenal presentation. But yeah. I just remember sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, I'm not. That, yeah. And that's in fact, what I started to understand, you know, the brain plasticity part of it. And, yeah. And, all that. Um, and not only that, but I would take it one step further, right? It's those broken spaces that have got you, have allowed you to create this podcast and connect with people all over the world, right? It's those broken spaces where you found ways to connect and help yeah. other people. Yeah. And I think that's always the case. It's from those places. It's from our wounds that we can connect, right? That's where we all can join together, Yeah. right? I think people that haven't experienced those can join in that same way, right? Yeah. And yet the truth is there's very few of us that haven't had at least some some trauma of some right. kind or some loss or some hurt. Yeah. Um, so. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then they're saying that even if, if someone hasn't experienced trauma that we inherit, we can inherit oh, yeah. generational I mean, trauma that uh, my son, he's, he's 26. He lives in Denver and he, he and I joke and laugh about it a lot because he'll have something arise and he'll be, I'll be like, and, and his joke is, um, I inherited that from you, mom. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in the womb and beyond, right? Yeah. yeah. It's these generational wounds that get carried down. Right. Um, and again, more another reason why we really have to do our own healing work so that yeah. we don't pass those on um, and then not judge ourselves when we have because we can only do what we can do when we're able to do it but then even knowing then we still have influence right so your son's 26 but you know he's still in, being influenced by you every day and every right, minute right. yeah sorry buddy <laughs> yeah yeah right i mean if only we knew as our what we knew <laughs> you know if we could only go back and offer right. what we have in the present back then but oh right yeah it's part of all our journeys there's two and yeah exactly yeah yeah well, i just think it's so empowering and optimistic your your philosophies on depression and it's not just i always say you know throwing a pill at it and i'm talking about across the board yeah whether it's high blood pressure or whatever it's i i which is why i don't take anything i had a doctor actually say to me now i'm 54 now but i was in my 40s and he like i was they had to do a physical for a job and and he i remember i'd never met this man and he's reading my chart and he's like you don't take any medications and i said no He's like, wow, that's really good for your age. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, thanks. But he and he said to me, 
I think he said like for my age at the time, whatever it was that um, it was uh, like an average of 13 pills that people were taking some crazy but number. It's crazy. And a lot of those pills in and of themselves induce depression. Over a third of American mm -hmm. adults are taking at least one medication that causes depression. Yeah. Um, so often that's the root cause, especially if it's someone who's never had a depression before. Oh, yeah. It becomes a toxin in and of itself. Yeah, but my, oh my gosh, my dad, every time he goes to the doctor, he, the doctor wants to put him on a statin just, you know, because he has family history, but he himself has no cardiac issues but every time he goes on right it affects his muscles he gets weak it affects his brain I can tell instantly when he goes on these things and I'm like why well right. the doctor told me to and I'm like well stop yeah. <laughs> just stop right. <laughs> yeah. yeah so but yeah yeah my my physician always she knows by now because I'm just like yeah no not. yeah don't bother yeah. with that prescription pad because it's not happening <laughs> yeah and it's so tricky because for them it becomes it's part of their number right it's it's almost required to get you on it if right. you have if your numbers aren't perfect yes right um, and yet the reality is, especially when we're talking, since we're talking statins, or I mentioned statins is, and blood pressure medications is, right, we actually need, we need cholesterol for our brains to function. And so statins are one that do cause depression because if you lower it too much, um, our brains just don't function very well. Right. And in fact, low, low, um, low fat in the brain, low, low omega-3s are associated with um, suicide and, and, and depression, but particularly violent suicides. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a, wow. Oh. Yeah. Well, again, what I, I say that what, what you're offering in your philosophy is just amazing. I just, again, I find it empowering because it, it allows people, I know I feel in control of my own health and destiny because I'm the one who has to make sure I get out there and hit the trails at the nature center yeah. or do my mindfulness and practice some ho'oponopono if I'm feeling stressed or, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, do yeah. whatever it is, meditative prayer or yoga, all of those, all of that is just so empowering. It is. It is. Yeah. I can't imagine my own life without those things. I, <laughs> I just don't know how I would get through a day without those tools. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Especially now, right. With everything. Right. I mean, my kids are upstairs right now in homeschool, right. Doing <laughs> online schooling. Yeah. <laughs> like, so for this hour, I'm like, you just shut the door. Yeah. Be quiet. <laughs> <Right>. Breathe. <laughs> well, I'm sure you heard our puppy in the background screen barking and I'm, I'm like, oh my gosh, there he is. Yeah. So everybody's home, so, you know, it's craziness, but yeah, yeah. it's fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, I got it. So anything else that you want to tap on, touch upon that we haven't yet? Um, let's see. I guess just um, such a broad question. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, just again, just recognizing how even small changes make big shifts, yeah. you know, so and to really start where you're at. Like, so for example, I once I once saw a woman who drank um, three liter box bottles of Coca-Cola every day, right? Oh so, for, so for her, it was, we, we reduced it to two 
and then we reduced it to one and then we tried to get it out of the house but then I found out she was keeping it in the garage which wasn't technically the house <laughs> so then we got out of the garage so she could only have it when she went out um and right so the point is is you start where you're at um, and, and offer yourself kindness for wherever you're at, right? Because we, when we beat ourselves up, it just backfires. Um, yeah. So really to do it with kindness and then start where you are. So if you haven't been exercising, then it's just, you know, getting yourself to the bottom of the driveway and then to the end of the, you know, to the first stop sign or, you know, depending on where you live and, um, you know, or and then working up to getting to a park or, you know what I mean? Yeah. But just really being gentle and kind and starting where you are rather than thinking, because I think so often we don't do anything because we think we should already be here. Like yeah. we should already, we should already be in shape before we go to the gym. I mean, I've literally had people tell me that, but I don't want to be there because I'm out of shape and other people will be in shape and I don't want to look, you know, I'll be embarrassed. Right. But So we just don't do things because we're not where we want to be, but the only way is to start and take a step. And so it's really, today right here right now what one small step can you take that can you know lead to the next small step yeah. and then just slowly keep building and building and, oh and get gosh. let go of the pressure and the shoulds and just you yeah. know one commitment for this week and maybe you know however small that is taking two breaths you know um, whatever it is that's yeah. beautiful and it made me think of, I did a, a half marathon. We do the flying pig here in Cincinnati. And uh-huh. um, I did a half marathon. It was, gosh, back in 2010. I mean, it was probably 10 years ago. Um, but we did this whole training, like 13 weeks of training. And, it, and I didn't run. It was fast walking. And uh-huh. I had to get my, my miles up faster, faster and so forth. But I had never done anything. I'm not a runner. I'm not, I hadn't done anything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he hey, let's do this. It'll be fun. Yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, okay. yeah. But the, the shirt I bought myself, and I still have it, 10 years old, but I love it, is, is that it said, the miracle isn't that I finished. The miracle is that I had the courage to start. Yeah. And that, that's beautiful. Yeah. And that, yeah. that just sums up what you said. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and that was so very true is that, yeah, I had the courage to start that. And we just started with a little bit of training. Yeah. And slowly worked our way up to 13 miles. So, yeah. Yeah. Good for you. (laughs) Impressive. (laughs) That's exactly what it is. (laughs) (laughs) I won an only medal for my half marathon. (laughs) (laughs) Ta-da! I went, check that off the list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't need to do that again. (laughs) What's funny is I'm terrified. Part of my phobias, and I had not yet found my way into therapy. One of my Mm. horrific phobias was bridges. Oh, Um, and you had to go over a bridge? No, driving over bridges, I couldn't do it. Uh, Uh, uh You know, much less walking over one. Well, we started the the marathon. I didn't think anything of it. I was just so excited, like, oh, we're going to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ready to go. It was like, Adrenaline rush. Yeah. yeah. It was kind of rainy. And so we're walking along and, and all of a sudden I was I stopped and I said, Why is everybody turning right up here towards Kentucky? Like <laughs> I had to go across the bridge. The Ohio <laughs> River is here. What what is how why are they all walking the like what is happening? And then I said, Oh my gosh, are we gonna have to walk across a bridge? And <laughs> I said, Oh, so the, so we we I was like, all right, I'm just going to get in the middle of the bridge, keep my head down. They had the bridge closed. I'm going to get on the yellow lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to go. 
Well, I am not joking around. True story. When I say about a third of the way across the bridge of all the people on this bridge and all the people in this huge marathon, the lady next to me turns to me and says, does it feel like this bridge is moving? <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, it does. Because the people, people are running. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're meant to move. Right. They're meant to have some, you know? yeah. <laughs> I I took off running and I'm not a runner and I ran the rest of the way because I was, I, I went into sheer panic of, oh my gosh, yes, this bridge is moving. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and how was your, how was your um, phobia after that, after you well, got across the bridge? Well, I mean, obviously I still had horrific fears and phobias for that moment. Yeah. I had to get back across the Ohio River back to Cincinnati. So we had to cross another bridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to the bottom of it and I cried and I cried and I cried because it had, it was one of those that had a train going over. Oh uh, yeah. 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 And the train was going over. So when we went to step onto the entrance ramp, it was like, boom, 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 boom. Oh, I bet. And I, I, I said, I'm just going to catch a cab. You know, you go ahead and go. We've done all this training. I'm not going to hold you back. I'll just take a cab back. I'm not going to know it. And then I said a little prayer and I said, okay, God, you need to give me a sign that I can make it back over. And yeah, yeah. at that moment, I opened my eyes and the caboose was going over. And so the, the, the train had passed and I said, all right. And so I did. And yeah. again, I got in the middle of the bridge, but I said, I'm running. <laughs> <laughs> but I ran across yeah. the bridge. And then, you know, obviously my fears continued um until i found my way into emdr uh-huh. and now they're they still linger I, I wouldn't want to get stuck stopped on one yeah um, yeah but that's still something i still have to figure out that's that's the last of the lingering fears is the bridges so huh. but you got through it, it. <laughs> when you didn't have a, any option really well you did but you got through it yeah right right yeah so, anyway I, I took a I took a way left turn there. So <laughs> yeah, but it's a beautiful metaphor for right of what we can accomplish when we right, right. when we have sort of a goal and a plan and and we kind of override our, the the fear that you know yeah your yeah. your determination to get to the end of that race and to complete right. it it's bigger right. than your fear <laughs> of the bridge in that moment. Right. Yeah. Not yeah. Very true. Yeah, it's a beautiful way to look at it. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, again, if there's anything else you'd like to touch upon before we close out, feel free. Um, just, um, I guess maybe just to close, I, I have, there's a story I always tell my patients, I probably tell it too often, but, um, but it's my favorite story. And it's sort of at the center of the book as well. And it's the story of the two wolves. Do you know the story? Yeah. Go ahead. But um, so the story is a Native American story. Oh, yes, yes. And the, the grandfather is, is talking to his grandson and he's telling him about the two wolves, kind of like the Christian idea of the angel and the devil. But in this, in, in this tradition, it's the two wolves and one wolf is the wolf of fear and, and hate and, and um, hopelessness. And the other wolf is the good wolf, the good wolf of hope and, and love and compassion. And, um, and the little boy's eyes get really wide. And he's like, well, grandpa, which wolf wins? And grandpa's like, well, it's whichever wolf you feed, right? And, and I, I love that story because that's the deal is every minute of every day we get to choose, you know, so in the middle of the coronavirus scare, we get to choose what wolf we're going to feed, right? Yeah. Are we going to feed that wolf of fear 
or are we going to be like, okay, wait, I, I'm feeling all that and that's real and I have a right to feel that, but I don't have to stay stuck there, right? I can start to feed the woof of hope with gratitude with, and again, with all the stuff we've talked about, right? But um, to, to just keep feeding that woof so that we can get across the bridge or do whatever we need to do to, um, to get out of whatever we're afraid of or wherever we're stuck. So yeah, beautiful. Yeah. And yeah, yes, that's sums it up perfectly. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, it's been just an absolute joy to have you here and thank you so much for your beautiful insights. And um, so, oh, so how do people get a hold of you and or the book? There's my dog. <laughs> he wants to close it out. <laughs> he was like, I have to say goodbye. <laughs> I'm saying bye. Um, so, yeah, the book is everywhere. And um, I can be found <laughs> at jodyskillicorn.com um, is my website. And then I'm on uh, Instagram at jodyskillicorn and Facebook at Mindful Psychiatry. Okay. Spell your last name for those who are listening and, and on audio. Yeah. S-K-I-L-L-I-C-O-R-N. And Jody is J-O-D-I-E. Awesome. Wonderful. No one ever spells that one right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, again, it's just been an absolute joy. I thank you for everything you do for shining the light of hope into the world and uh, helping people along their healing journey. Thank you. Likewise to you. All right. Thanks for and having me. Oh, absolutely. Everyone, thank you for joining us today. And until next time, remember, be gentle with yourself. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening today to the Healing Place podcast with your host and trauma warrior, Terry Welbrock. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about Terry, her mission, and the Hope for Healing journey, visit Terry's website at www.terrywellbrock.com. Thank you for liking, commenting, sharing, and offering your reviews on our YouTube channel, audio outlets, and Facebook page. And as Terry reminds us, until next time, remember, be gentle with yourself.